0: Unearthed Memphis, your Memphis history podcast with hosts Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unearthed Memphis. I'm Alan.
1: And I'm Tara. And we have a bit of a correction to make. Uh, it was just brought to our attention that on our Alice and Frida episode, we did not list any of our sources on the website. Oops. Um, so if you went to that page, there wasn't anything there, and we do apologize. Uh, but we have since remedied that. Um, one of our main sources for that book was Alice and Frida Forever by Alexis Coe, and the illustrations were done by Sally Clan. And we've uh, notated and linked that book uh, on our show notes and in the links page. And the artist is also linked in the show notes. So we do deeply apologize to the author and artist for this oversight. Um, The book was great. uh, So if you haven't checked it out, please do so. It is fantastic. it is. Yeah, so sorry about that. It was a hundred percent an oversight on our f- uh, yeah, our part.
0: We wouldn't put anything up there without crediting it. So
1: yes, so we uh, we wanted to give much apologies um, to Alexis Co and her uh, illustrator Sally Clan. Yeah. So, all right.
0: Well, September. Uh, so what what even happened to it? I don't know. It's been a really long month, as my foggy brain and achy muscles prove, (laughs) Uh, but now it seems like it was really, really short.
1: So short, it's already mid-October. Yeah, right. (laughs) And uh, I have no idea how we got here. I do feel like we were really busy this month, but nothing that we did really involved our normal goings-on. Yeah,
0: we helped a lot of other people out, though, so that's all right.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like everyone in my family moved during September.
0: That's because they did. Every single one of them.
1: All of them. You are correct. Literally everyone. I <laughs> know. <of them. laughs> and we started day one, September 1st, uh, moving my niece back to Chicago for her senior year of college. Yay! Um, we are very excited for her, but also sad because uh, she'd been home for the past year and, and now we miss her.
0: We do, but she loves Chicago and she's happy there, so we're really, really happy for her.
1: We are. And she has the cutest, tiniest studio apartment I've ever seen.
0: Uh, one day I will see it. Unfortunately, I was not able to take off work to go up there. Uh, um, I'm not sure that I where I would have slept, though.
1: Yeah. Um, I was super bummed about that for various reasons, obviously. Uh, but the extra arms for carrying stuff would have been glorious. <laughs> um, I would have been really sad for you, too, though, because I barely fit on the floor in that yeah. place. So. <laughs> but you guys
0: managed, all, albeit with a fair amount of swearing, I would assume.
1: Oh, yes. You assume correctly. Yes, you do. Uh, her apartment building is really nice. It could use some interior updating, um, but it's in a great people-inclusive and pet-friendly area. And uh, the building was itself is great. And there was this elevator, though. Um, we asked if it had a service elevator since she was on an upper floor, and, and they said yes. And, uh, and then we got in this elevator, and it was about two people wide and three people deep.
0: It's not a service elevator, really.
1: It's, it's not, no.
0: But it was sufficient for what you needed, for after the, all.
1: Yeah, for the most part. Um, the only real bad part was the actual doors. So let me tell you, there were two of them. One that swings out to the open, and then a cage that kind of slides across the front of the opening. And they are spring-loaded. So that means one person must starfish themselves across both open doors and suck it in while the other person brings the stuff in: <laughs>
0: that visual sounds amazing
1: it was it was <laughs> awesome um an adventure to say the least, but we we got it done, and we spent the rest of the weekend drinking yummy coffee and I got to see the quote unquote "mothership" from where my favorite coffee unicorn blood is roasted <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's probably Lord Voldemort's favorite too.
1: I think so. That's what I said when I opened the package <laughs> yeah. the first time. It's like yeah. what? Oof, bad joke. <laughs> um, we also ate delicious food. We went to this one breakfast place that had cinnamon rolls as a side item.
0: Cinnamon rolls as a side item? Yeah, that's nonsense. Cinnamon rolls can hold their own.
1: Oh, that's very true. But nonetheless, they listed them as a side dish, and there were two of them. Oh, yeah, because someone needs an entire breakfast and two cinnamon rolls as a side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we ate and then we went to the zoo, of course. And the Lincoln Park Zoo is a pretty good one. I, of course, am biased as to I think our zoo is the best, but theirs is really pretty and it's free. Uh, Although we did make a donation.
0: Of course you did. And I'm surprised you didn't adopt an animal. You didn't, did you?
1: Not yet. I'm waiting to hear back. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, it was a good trip, and I can't wait to go back.
0: Yeah, me either, because I love Chicago, and I want some cinnamon mm-hmm. rolls and Garrett's popcorn, mm-hmm. which you did not bring home.
1: I didn't. I know. It's a sin, really. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> all right. Well, our next moving adventure was my sister and niece.
0: I was there for that one. Yes, and I am yeah.
1: forever grateful, because they have a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. After all that moving, my arms have let me know I need to start working out again.
1: Yeah, me too, because in a few weeks, it'll be Dad's turn. Yep, Dad's moving back to Memphis. Uh, He's moving in with my sister, and we are so glad to have him closer again. But, you know, everybody always moves back to Memphis.
0: That's true. It pulls you back. Yep. And between Tara's family moving and our work, we haven't had much time for adventures of our own this past month.
1: We haven't. I'm pretty sure everyone who hasn't come to the dermatologist because of COVID has now returned and they all have skin cancer. So (laughs) this is your PSA. Wear your sunscreen. Don't go to a tanning bed because you don't want to come see me. Because if you do come see me, there are needles and knives and you leave with bandages.
0: It's true. She'll stab you. It's true. They'll they'll pay her to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, my work has been extremely busy. Every band program in the Mid-South area needs stuff, a lot of stuff, all the stuff, Mm -hmm. all of that is great, but it does make for long days. It makes Allens and Taros quite worn out.
1: It's true, but all of that is changing because it's the start.
0: Of spooky season. <laughs>
1: Toka's even gonna throw something you, in there. <laughs> you
0: can't be tired during spooky season.
1: You cannot. There are too many movies to watch, places to visit, front porches to be decorated. And if you follow our socials, you'll notice we have already started watching one of our most favorite movies. The Shining. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if you listen to last year's Halloween episodes, you know that we once visited uh, Estes Park and stayed at the Stanley, the hotel that The Shining is based on. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It
1: was a lot of fun. We got to go back. hmm Yeah. Um, we also started watching the new Netflix show, Midnight Mass. Uh, if you've seen Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Blind Manor, this show is the uh, same creator, has a lot of the same actors in it, too, and we won't spoil anything, but just saying, if you like good shows, you should watch this one.
0: Sadly, we weren't able to attend the Soul of the City, uh, Elmwood's walking tour that they do during Halloween, um, but we are going to uh, their Cemetery Cinema, which has now been moved to October 22nd, where they'll be showing last year's virtual tour and then the original Nosferatu. Yay! Yeah, it would be fun.
1: It will be. We'll be grabbing our blankets and yummy coffees and enjoying a night in the cemetery. I can't Wait. Um, and since it's spooky season, I thought we could talk a little bit about Memphis urban legend.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, what do you think is one of the most well-known urban legends?
0: Probably say voodoo village.
1: That's what I was thinking.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think pretty much everyone who grew up here or has lived here for any amount of time has either heard about it or possibly even ventured out to the community known to locals as voodoo village.
0: I personally have never been. We did uh, drive down Callus Cutoff a bunch, though, when we were young. But uh, that's for a different episode.
1: Yeah, we we, we did do that one, too. (laughs) Um, What are some of the rumors you've heard about this place?
0: Now, this is all based on unfounded rumor and speculation. Mm -hmm. But I've I've heard that when you drive there, uh, they push a school bus out in the middle of the road behind you so your car can't leave. And uh, then they come out and chase you with bats and machetes and stuff like that. And allegedly dead animals are hanging from trees and they're weird, there's weird yard art and Masonic and voodoo symbols all around the property. And there's an air of spookiness out there as well.
1: Yeah, I've heard those things too, and, and I haven't believed them for a long time. Um, admittedly, I was too freaked out to actually go all the way down to see that for myself. Uh, I, was, I believe it was my friend Niraj and I, uh, we ventured out that way late one night, but eventually turned around and came home because we were chickens. <laughs> um, but years later, I had read uh, a little about the so-called voodoo village and learned it was actually called St. Paul's Spiritual Holy Temple. I've also read it as St. Peter's, but I do believe it is actually St. Paul's from all the things that we've read.
0: And as it turns out, the history behind St. Paul's is more complicated than we thought. Um, to understand it, we'd have to start with Memphis's beginnings. But I promise we'll get back to it.
1: Yes. And most of the information I got from, uh, for this episode was from a book by Tony Kale called Appropriately. A Secret History of Memphis Hoodoo. And it's a really fantastic book. It's informative and a quick read. And it made me want to dig deeper into the subject. Thus this episode's topic. So it's a really cool book and I suggest you check it out. You can find it um, at our local novel in the Locals Only section. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Memphis is known by many names. The Bluff City, the Home of the Blues, the Birthplace of Rock and Roll, Cotton Capital of the World, the Barbecue Capital of the World, but it's also called Mojo City.
1: Ah, well, the word Mojo comes from the uh, object used within the practice of hoodoo, and Memphis's hoodoo history is not extremely well known or, frankly, understood. That is, of course, unless you're actually in the know.
0: Uh, so we started this episode talking about voodoo, and now we're talking about hoodoo. So what is the difference?
1: Well, voodoo. I've also heard it said voodoo, V O D O U, meaning spirit, is considered a religion or religious practice. It's similar to hoodoo, and in one video I watched, it said that hoodoo was born out of voodoo. So it was brought from Africa through Haiti and then to America during the slave trade. It's a blend of Catholicism and African culture and traditional beliefs. And the type of voodoo that we're going to be talking about for this episode is what is generally practiced in New Orleans. Um, There's structure and hierarchy in voodoo. There is one god, but they do not interfere with life. But there are numerous spirits that do, and they call these spirits loa or loa. And each loa has its own area of life it's responsible for. For example, agriculture or money. And practitioners connect with these spirits when they need their assistance.
0: And there are priestesses and priests in voodoo as well. Uh, a popular voodoo priestess was Marie Laveau. And she made a name for herself by helping people from all walks of life in New Orleans. Uh, she was a hairdresser by day, and by, uh, but her other side hustle was to help people achieve their desires but through her voodoo practice. She was known to help people from all different racials, uh, racial and social backgrounds.
1: And even in her death, she was still helping people. And there is a rumor that if you make a wish on her grave and your wish comes true, you owe her a present. <laughs> and I admittedly made a wish on her tomb. And while it took some years, that wish did come true. So I actually owe her a present the next time we're in New Orleans.
0: Yeah, we've tried to be there one time at least and, and that it was, didn't work out because yeah. COVID.
1: Because COVID. We'll get yeah. back there soon though.
0: Yeah, we will. Yeah. I'm sure many people have heard uh, of this famous voodoo priestess. Uh, she's widely known. And anytime you speak of New Orleans or voodoo, her name is going to come up.
1: Yes. And side note, she's an integral part of um, season three of American Horror Story. <laughs> and <laughs> right. she is played by the amazing Angela Bassett. And so now anytime I picture Marie Laveau, I, I see Angela Bassett. I can't help it. <laughs> I have she's no idea awesome. what
0: Marie Laveau looked like. So I, see, I Angela imagine Bassett. I probably would do. Yeah. Maybe so. <laughs> Uh, while there's a popular misconception that voodoo is evil, those who practice it say it is not. Uh, there are many different spirits in voodoo, and if you don't treat them with respect, you may regret that decision. But there is no version of a devil in this religion. Objects are not inherently good or bad. It's what you do with them that, that matters. Uh, for example, a voodoo doll can be made of a person, and it can be used for healing, centering, and focusing. But it can also be used to inflict pain on others, which is what most commonly thought of when you say voodoo doll.
1: Now, voodoo has rituals, ceremonies, and healers. And they also have practices such as goat and fowl sacrifices in some of these rituals and ceremonies. Um, I saw a video of a spiritual medium ceremony that involved a community invoking a spirit to take the life of a person. Then that person, who appears lifeless, was stored, for lack of a better word, for three days with no food or water. And then the community tried to resurrect her, for they were dead, or at least comatose, uh, in order for that person to become a spiritual medium. And apparently in the video that I watched, their ceremony worked, because it appears the girl came back to life. Uh, But you'll notice that this practice feels a lot like the Christian crucifixion and resurrection story. So, voodoo is practiced as a religion, and it appears to be... Not quite so hush-hush, whereas hoodoo takes practices from voodoo, but is generally practiced quietly.
0: The history of hoodoo comes from many African cultural uh, traditions and religious practices. Hoodoo is considered folk magic. It was brought to America during slave trade. The enslaved people who were brought to America were from different nations in Africa, many having varying traditions and languages. Even though they had differences, they blended together the cultures in an effort to have a sense of self and camaraderie. While on these southern plantations, the enslaved people would take the practice of Christianity and blend it with their beliefs. And thus, Hoodoo was born. In Hoodoo, there is the belief that herbs and roots have power, and practitioners believe that ancestors give you power as well. You must connect your ancestors, to, connect to your ancestors, to receive power. And this practice is handed down from generation to generation. It is spiritually, it is spiritual based, but is not a religion. Hoodoo uh, is also known as root work or conjuring.
1: Yes, and on plantations, there were some enslaved people who were known to have spiritual abilities, and they would provide healing and other magical services, such as protection from harm. Over time, the practice of hoodoo focused on love, luck, fate, and prosperity, as well as healing and protection. Those who practiced were not widely known to the public. It was and still is generally spread by word of mouth.
0: And these are some commonly held concepts of, uh, for root workers and conjurers. Uh, number one, a supreme being. So there is a higher God that is all-powerful or all-knowing. Number two, the spirits of the dead. Practitioners honor the dead, asking for protection and guidance. They will also use graveyard dust and coffin nails to connect to the dead. Not sure what graveyard dust is.
1: Mm-hmm. Dirt from graveyards. Okay. Yep. All right.
0: <laughs> um, they can also call on the dead to haunt or create mischief for the living. Uh, number three, rituals of magic. Practitioners do rituals for good harvests, for healing, for protection, money, and then sometimes for more nefarious things. In the rituals, healers may use bones, shells, and stones to figure out the source of one's ailment or plight.
1: And number four, uh, the power of herbs. Much like the name root worker implies, they rely on plants, roots, and herbs to be used as medicines, and those can also be carried or worn to provide uh, protection. Number five is amulets and charms. And one word that's used for such things is fetishes, from the Portuguese word fetico, meaning made. And these fetishes are objects that represent deities and contain a spirit or a power. And there are also grigri or mojo bags. And these were bags that contained herbs, animal bones, feathers, or stones. The objects were placed in the bags and then blessed. And many of the bags hold a spirit called a muya, or the soul of a person. And this is done by putting something in the bag that belonged to the owner, like hair, nails, or skin. And it's believed that the word mojo came from the word muya. And then after everything's put in the bag, it is fed with alcohol, blood, or other liquids to nourish the spirit. And once this uh, bag has its spirit energy in it, it can be used to either protect or harm. And then another object practitioners like to use was a nail, and they were used to try to nail down something, for instance, nailing a curse down to stop it from happening. So there is a difference between voodoo and hoodoo. They're similar, but not as interchangeable as one might think. So when did hoodoo come to Memphis?
0: The earliest practice of hoodoo in Memphis was seen in the early to mid-1800s on the Hildebrand Plantation in what is now Whitehaven. The estate had 29 enslaved people living in five quarters. Years later, artifacts that were removed from the slave quarters reflected African folk practices. Uh, For instance, one object that was found was a dime with a hole drilled in it, and that could be worn as a necklace to keep away evil. Coins like this were found on other plantations in Mississippi as well. Um, There were also metal hand charms found, and these were used to keep away the evil eye and to ward off sickness and bad luck. These types of charms were also found in Nashville, St. Louis, and as well as Mississippi.
1: Um, Root work was seen in the mid-1850s, and those with spiritual abilities would take the bark from certain trees and roots from certain plants and grind them up to make medicines for other enslaved people. And by the time yellow fever hit in 1878, exasperated white doctors were using some of the same roots as root workers to help their patients.
0: And those who held these spiritual abilities went by many names so we've mentioned root worker and conjurer but also goofer doctor trick doctor or healer they could be male or female and were supernaturally called into service those with physical deformities were oftentimes seen as gifted with powers so if you were to visit a root worker you may notice that they had a prominent birthmark or a speech impediment or something like that most of those who were called apprenticed with established practitioners.
1: All right. Now we'll get into some stories about Memphis's hoodoo culture. And these stories also came from the, the secret hoodoo secret Memphis hoodoo book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I picked out some that I, I thought were pretty cool. All right. So in 1872, a former enslaved person, Rans Darden lived on Neshoba plantation, a community for emancipated enslaved people in Germantown. And he had a small garden and livestock and a cabin that he lived in. So, one day, he was bitten by a dog. So, he went to Collierville to buy a madstone, or a bezoar for us Harry Potter fans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, they were supposed to cure sickness from bites. And he started feeling better for about a month, but then he began to get sick again. And he went to a medical doctor, but he was unable to be cured, so his friends contacted an African-American doctor who had worked with animals. And Dr. Piggy, as he was called, determined that he had been conjured and that this was causing his illness. The doctor blamed Darden's neighbor. Apparently, Darden and his neighbor had argued over one of Darden's pigs eating the neighbor's crops.
0: Darden's condition got worse, and he began to cry and scream uncontrollably. Members of the community thought he was going mad, and they blamed Darden's neighbor. When they felt things had gone far enough, the locals decided to hunt down Darden's neighbor and punish him. And after 300 blows from a leather whip, the neighbor died. Mm. Yeah, Darden's condition still worsened, and he later passed. An autopsy was performed, and the cause of his death was not a conjurer, but hydrophobia caused by rabies.
1: And side note, if you want to listen to a really great podcast about rabies because I know you all do, <laughs> um, uh, what it does to you and uh, if you contact contract it and things of that nature. Um, there's a podcast called This Podcast Will Kill You, and it has a great episode and I highly recommend it. Uh, I also highly recommend not getting rabies, and if you do or think you might get it from an animal bite, go to the hospital immediately.
0: According to Michael Scott, it causes the fear of water.
1: Uh, it does <laughs> actually, and if you listen to the podcast, "Will Kill You," it'll tell you why. It's it's terrible, so yeah. don't get bitten by rabid dogs. Yeah. All right, anyway, continue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hoodoo had been blamed for several wrongdoings in Memphis in the late 1800s. Another story is about a family feud between two neighboring families. The Strong family had lost a child to a mysterious illness. The mother practiced Hoodoo and used a mojo bag to connect with the spirit who told her the identity of the person that was responsible for her child's death. When the Strong family accused the woman of of killing the child, she and the other family members uh, denied it. Unfazed by the denial, the mother and her family engaged in, in verbal and physical abuse against the accused family, which resulted in fighting between the two. Eventually, the matter was taken to court and all parties involved were placed under the bond.
1: Um, another story is about the Memphis Turtles, and this is the baseball team that, in a roundabout way, helped start our zoo because of their mascot, Match the Bear. So, supposedly, the Memphis Turtles owed their winning ability to Memphis Hoodoo. Allegedly, the manager had their home plate dug up and taken to a local cemetery and placed in a vault with mummies overnight. Mm-hmm. It was then brought back to the stadium, and before being placed on the ground, four-leaf clovers, horseshoes, the hide of a black cat, oh, and several jackrabbit hind legs were buried underneath it. And apparently this was done to break any conjure that would have stopped the Turtles from winning.
0: This reminds me of the Pedro Serrano from the movie Major League.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that luck only lasted a short time as the Memphis Turtles only played from 1909 to 1911. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah.
0: <laughs> A Reverend, Reverend Harry Hyatt, who was for all intents and purposes a cultural anthropologist, came to Memphis to document Huda culture. He interviewed numerous people about their practices and found that Memphis had a rich hoodoo culture. Uh, one man he interviewed had to consult with spirits to see if Hyatt was safe to talk to, like you do. Yep. Uh, he made a bag with uh, filled with graveyard dirt, a lodestone, which is a naturally magnetic stone, broom straws, and some herbs. He then fed it. W- he then fed it with wintergreen oil, so it smelled delightful.
1: It probably did. <laughs>
0: He would then ask the bag if Hyatt was safe to speak with. He told it to swing if yes and stand still if no. The bag began to swing so the man was comfortable talking with him.
1: And then there was one root worker that Hyatt continued to hear stories about on his journey. Carolyn Dye. Now, Dye didn't live in Memphis. She resided in Newport, Arkansas, about 90 miles from Memphis. But she became so popular that she had a special train line known as the Carolyn Die Special that would take passengers straight to her home. Aunt Die, as she became known, had hundreds of people coming to visit her daily. And WC Handy even wrote about her in a few of his songs. The Gypsy Woman in St. Louis Blues was referring to Die. And he also mentions her by name in Sundown Blues. I'm going to Newport. I'm going there to see Aunt Carolyn Die. And then there was Will Shade of the Memphis Jug Band, who also wrote a song about her. It was called Aunt Carolyn Dye Blues.
0: Uh, so why was Carolyn Dye so popular?
1: Oh, well, tell me why.
0: <laughs> Die learned of her abilities as a child and would help numerous people in her community. Her reputation grew from there. Uh, she would help anyone in her community that needed help. Black, white, rich, and poor would come to her for her services. Uh, she helped local businessmen with with their financial decisions. And she would use a deck of cards to receive guidance from the spirits. Uh, she would. She was great at locating lost things too. She even located a person once. Cool. Oh. Yeah, that's a good thing. And it is. <sighs> uh, or may, maybe not. Who knows? And while most revered die as a talented seer, there were always some naysayers. But she'd end up telling those people something about themselves that no one else would know, and it usually convinced them. Her reputation as a seer, as well as a good businesswoman, lasted until her death.
1: And then in our previous episode, we talked about the many blues artists that played on Beale Street. Well, turns out, most of those musicians practice hoodoo themselves. Artists such as Bessie Smith, Muddy Waters, Bo Diddley, Memphis Minnie, and Ma Rainey 2, a.k.a. Lily Mae Glover, who has a really cool story. We'll have to talk about her one day, too. Um, they all had songs about hoodoo. And one night, Glover was approached by a young girl who was being beaten by her boyfriend. And Glover told her to get a pair of his socks and bring them to her. And she did as she was told and brought the socks to Glover. Glover took the socks and laid them out and then took a glass bottle with some liquid in it. She poured the liquid over the socks and asked the man's name and gave them back to the girl. The bottle that she poured the liquid from, uh, the label said, Do as I say, oil. And she told her to put the socks in the creek and let them float away. And that man will float away like those socks. A few weeks later, Glover was visited by another young lady asking for help. She had heard uh, that Glover had helped the other girl who was being abused by her boyfriend, and he ended up leaving the next day. So she knew Glover could help her too. So I guess Ma Rennie was good at more than just singing. I
0: guess so. Yeah. Well, it's no wonder Memphis has such a strong hoodoo history, because we were home to some of the largest hoodoo product companies, too. Uh, Think back to our story about Ernestine and Hazel's. Originally, Pante's Drugstore was located there, and they sold various cosmetics and products geared towards the African-American community. It was run by Abe Plough, and he was a good friend of Joseph Mankey, the chemist who owned Keystone Laboratories, which we'll soon find out is a hoodoo manufacturer. Uh, you'll remember that Plow started his business with 125 bucks of borrowed money, and quickly turned his patent medicine business into a thriving business, acquiring Saint Joseph's Aspirin, Coppertone, and Maybelline. He also became a huge philanthropist. One of his, in quotes, medicines, uh, Plow's Mexican Heat Powder, which is a fantastic it's name, great,
1: yeah, uh, <laughs> was a
0: common ingredient it, with uh, Hoodoo practitioners. Was all his luck and business simple luck, or was it something else? Mmm.
1: Who knows? Oh, there were several hoodoo product manufacturing companies to come out of Memphis. American chemical manufacturing companies offered a selection of hoodoo-related products. One section of their catalog features uh, Curious, Roots, Oils, and Lodestones. Um, they sold powders, herbs, incense, and oils. And then Keystone Laboratories was started in the early 1920s to fill the need for African-American cosmetic products. And they hired African-American employees to help sell their products. And while they helped distribute cosmetic products, they also offered an array of hoodoo products. And then Curio Product Company and Hi-Hat were both subsidiaries of Keystone that sold hoodoo products.
0: Keystone was eventually bought by Lucky Heart Laboratories. In 1944, Lucky Heart bought American Chemical and manufactured their products as well. Uh, Lucky Heart became a booming business, and they filled over 1,000 orders a day for cosmetics and hoodoo products. They sold books popular in hoodoo culture and products like Mojo Love Drops Perfume, which is another fantastic name, Mm -hmm. uh, Lucky Lovin' Perfume, 7-Eleven Dice Perfume, as well as others that were guaranteed to work. Uh, Lucky Heart stood behind their products, and if anyone would prove their products were not authentic, they would be paid $1,000. Wow. All
1: right. Clyde Collins Chemical Company offered Hoodoo-related products through door-to-door sales. It was like Avon for Hoodoo. Uh, While purchasing cosmetic products, customers could also purchase oil, lodestones, rabbit feet, and root And Lucky Heart Cosmetics still exists in Memphis. Um, But I was looking through their website and I didn't see anything alluding to the company still dabbling in hoodoo industry anymore. Or do they? They might. Who knows? They might. That'd be really cool.
0: There are a couple of businesses in Memphis that still do. One of them is the most famous and it's uh, A. Schwab's. Legend has it, Leo Schwab's, the founder's son, was looking for a solution to the overbearing smells that wafted in the store from various eateries on Beale. A friend directed him to A.A. Vantine out of New York. They had an incense that would cause any scent to vanish just by burning a little cone. The incense worked, so he ordered more product. The company sent him other promotional items, some of them hoodoo-related. Schwab decided to set up a little display to see how they would sell. Well, they sold like hotcakes, of course. <laughs> uh, Schwab would end up carrying over eight tons of hoodoo-related products, taking most of their, most of their storage space from candles to oils, artifacts to her- to herbs, almost said it British-like. you herbs, a- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Schwab sold it all. Although most people who purchase the products usually refer to their practice as mojo or spiritualism, avoiding using the term hoodoo. As, the, uh, as of the production of this book, uh, 2017, Schwab still employs a root worker to make hands for, the, for those who ask.
1: And just down the street from Schwab's is Tater Rudd's Lucky Mojo and Voodoo Healing Shop. And while this is a unique gift shop visited by many tourists, they have more than just things you'd find on Michael Scott's toy shelf. <laughs> um, there is a large collection of candles, powders, oils, and voodoo dolls for your conjuring needs. That's a pretty cool shop. Have you yeah, ever been in there? Yeah, I have. I have been in there. Um, one of our friends fun. used to work there, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she met John Stamos. Um <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Random fact. I know. Oh right, right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well cool. Another well-known establishment that offers hoodoo products is Champion's Pharmacy and Herb Store on Elvis Presley. Yeah. And Dr. Charles Champion is a pharmacist who graduated from Xavier University College in New Orleans. He's he not only practices western medicine but also herbal remedies, homeopathic remedies, and he also offers many hoodoo related products. Such as Miracle Gambling Oils, which could be purchased on your way to Tunica to help you win.
1: Nice.
0: Yeah. Herbs, roots, candles, and other curios. Um, Dr. Champion turned 90 in 2020. His business is run primarily by his daughters these days, though.
1: Yeah. That dude's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the Broom Closet on South Main calls itself a metaphysical shop, not really hoodoo. However, they do sell various spiritual products such as incense, candles, stones, and oils, um, as well as offering services like tarot card readings, aura and chakra readings, and meditation. Yeah. And they also run Historical Haunts Memphis service, and we've taken several of their tour, uh, tours, and they're awesome.
0: Yeah, the guy that, that owns Broom Closet is a, is a great tour guide. yeah. So now let's get back to where this episode began, St. Paul's Spiritual Holy Temple. Yes. It's the 1950s, and Washington, Doc Harris starts to build a spiritual temple on two acres of land. Doc was said to be of of African and Native American descent. One of his buildings on the land was used as his healing office, and the other one was used as a temple that he and his grandson, Mook, designed using an array of symbols. Many were Masonic symbols known only to Harris because he was a 33rd degree mason. These symbols conveyed moral and philosophical concepts. The brightly colored and interestingly built art of stars, moons, and crosses were constructed out of wood, plastic, metal, and other items. The inside of the temple was adorned with satin and silk cloth. and Members of the church would dress in satin robes and caps.
1: And Doc was considered a spiritual healer, and people would come from all over to visit his temple to receive healing and or assistance. And he would provide health care for those who could not afford it. His form of health care, though, required cooperation from the sick. Doc would meet with the patient and pray for them. He then instructed them to wash their souls and come back in two weeks. Now, this consisted of taking three baths per week at the same time of day. The patient would put a cup of salt, a half gallon of red vinegar, a small box of baking soda, and a cup of graveyard dirt into the bath. They then must bathe with a white towel and repeat the Lord's Prayer. The patient also had to cleanse themselves internally by drinking a cup of sage tea every day and eating a raw egg with a tablespoon of oil. After the two weeks were up, they came back and Doc told them to continue their baths, but to get the graveyard dirt from the middle of a grave, about half a foot deep, and then refill the hole. I couldn't find where it said how long to do this or what help it did in curing them, uh, but maybe it was to cleanse their souls so that God was able to heal them. I'm not really sure, but that was yeah, do a lot of stuff. Yeah, he no was kidding. serious, man.
0: Unfortunately, by the 1960s, St. Paul's got the reputation for voodoo practice, probably due to the secretive nature of Harris's establishment and unusual yard sculptures. It became almost a rite of passage for teenagers to drive down that dark road and see if anything spooky happened. Rumors of ghosts from human and animal sacrifices, zombies, black magic, and voodoo rituals spread like wildfire. Nice. Yeah. Who knows how these rumors actually got started? You know how kids make stuff up, but they continued into my high school days in the late '80s and early '90s. Oh and
1: yeah, me you know, too. Into the talked late about 90s. it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um. But apparently these allegations could not be further from the truth. It is said that Doc would actually try to remove black magic and conjure work from clients. Uh, His practice was based in songs and prayers from traditional Christian churches and mixed with spirits from African and Native American spiritual backgrounds. His grandson attributes his uh, abilities as a gift from God, not voodoo.
0: Once the rumors began to take hold, people started harassing the members of the community and vandalizing the property. Doc was investigated and fined for practicing medicine without a license and then negligence and malpractice after an 8-year-old boy passed away while he was treating him for stomach problems. After that time, he started to become more secretive about his practice. Doc passed away in 1995, but his family has continued to run and take care of the temple and the surrounding property.
1: So it is apparent, from the description of St. Paul's, that they are not practicing voodoo. I guess you could call it hoodoo, but maybe just call it spirituality. And it's probably a good idea to leave the community of St. Paul's Temple alone. To be honest, I can't say that I've even thought much about it since high
0: school. Yeah, me either. Uh, They're just some people trying to do their thing and taking advantage of their right to decide for themselves what spirituality means to them. Yep. And you may not understand it, and it may look strange, but it's not really the best idea to go draw ride down and see it. Nope. No. Leave those people alone. Yep. You can find some YouTube videos with Washington Mook Harris uh doc's grandson that explains the temple and shows you around the property if you'd really like to know what it looks like inside those fences
1: yeah i've got um links to the videos down below um that show him talking about it and some of the the art and i want to say i've even got some pictures up there from a website um they did like a art project about it so it was pretty cool
0: that's cool the moral of the story is, leave those people alone. They're just being people.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. So this is our story that we unearthed. Yay. Yay. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode about St. Paul's Temple and Memphis's hoodoo history. Um, it was a really fascinating story to research. I was going down all kinds of rabbit holes. It took a while to write because I kept getting distracted and reading about other stuff. <laughs> it's quite fascinating. Yeah.
0: And it fits right into the beginning of October as well. It does. Yeah. And as always, don't forget to listen to our next episode on your favorite podcast listening app. It'll be up soon. We promise. Also, if you get a chance, we'd love for you to like and subscribe and leave us a review. Spread the word. Share on social media. Yep. It does help. Check us out uh, on our website at unearthmemphis.com. Instagram at unearthmemphis. Facebook at facebook.com slash unearth901. Twitter at Unearth901, or drop us an email at unearthmemphis at gmail.com. We would love to hear from everyone. Yes. Questions, comments, suggestions, corrections like today's. Yes. Or just chatter is appreciated and enjoyed. All of it is.
1: Yes, very much so. Again, we are we just do this as a hobby and we think it's fun, so we promise that we're, we're just trying to tell people's stories. Yep. Yep, yep. So um, we are not historians. We are two people who are interested in Memphis history. We have done research, and we're trying to provide accurate history as best we can. There is a possibility that some of these statements are incorrect, but we have tried to verify all the info so that we're not putting out any untrue info. To the best of our knowledge, what we were saying is correct, but you let us know if you have any things to add or correct. In the show notes, you will find articles... Um, or links to the articles that we use with book titles, videos, etc. to gather our information. Yeah. I promise it's on this one. I double <laughs> e, triple e checked. Alright. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening everyone. Yep. Bye.
0: Bye. Unearth Memphis is written, produced, and engineered by Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. The music was written, performed, and recorded by Donnie Wayne Smith and Alan Compton.